Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Pumping once, now throwing long down the left side. Slaughter has it. He's going in for a touchdown! Throwing deep down the left side. Slaughter is open. He got the ball on the Over 200 yards. This has never happened back to back in the history of pro football, and he takes it 95. Can you believe it? Josh Gordon was dismissed from Baylor before the 2011 season. He transferred to Utah but never played for the Utes. Now he heads to the NFL supplemental draft. What's the market for Gordon? It looks pretty strong. Benaya in the ball game on first down for the Browns. Weeding the throw. Passes complete middle of the field to Josh Gordon, who breaks some tackles and is going toward the sidelines before he's thrown out by Stephen Tullett. He gets on the field when we're anticipating it late November. We will end this season. General consensus, anybody that knows football and loves football, that he is automatically thrust into the conversation as top wide receiver in the league. We're talking to A.B., Talking Julio, talking AJ Green, and you'll now mention Josh Gordon, Go even back. after being missing. And sure enough, here is Taylor at the bottom against Gordon. And Campbell goes to Gordon. He gets by Gay, and the long strides take him downfield for a first down. The Browns have a weapon in Josh Gordon on offense. Oh, Campbell with a beautiful pass to Gordon, who comes all the way. Well, that'll get you back into it. Browns wide receiver Josh Gordon's eligible to return before their Week 13 matchup against the Los Angeles Chargers. Home run hitter Kevin is what we called him at the top of the game. He catches this one. It's a catch and run, and boy, this is biggest play of the day. But he's had these issues on the books since 2012. He hasn't played in the game since 2014. In the time that he's been away from the Cleveland Browns, they've been 4 and 37. Reverse. Here comes the speed merchant, Josh Gordon. Look at him go, Josh Gordon. He said he used Xanax and, and marijuana and alcohol and cocaine occasionally. And which is an hard drug and, and, and methazine and you know like he went into prescription stuff to use, over-the-counter stuff to use, recreational drugs, harder recreational drugs. Hold on a minute, it is a touchdown to Josh Gordon. He's kind of <laughs> risen from the ashes, so to say. And we goes the other way to the corner and touchdown Josh Gordon. 
It's like Christmas. You know, we'll open a new toy. I know it's I know it's in that box. You know, I just want to see how good it is. My DBN brothers and sisters, welcome to a special edition of Straight No Chaser, uh, which focuses on the professional football career of Josh Gordon on the eve of his return to the football field. My name is Thelonious Seven, and I wanted to remind you that you're listening to this special on the DBN Network. On July 12, 2012, the Cleveland Browns were in a desperate situation. Word was that Randy Lerner would be selling the team. Mike Holmgren, Tom Heckert were immediately thrust into the hot seat. And they had just completed one of the most polarizing drafts in Browns history, securing Trent Richardson and Brandon Whedon for an anemic Browns offensive attack. And just a few days earlier, a simple poster on Dogs by Nature knew that the Browns were weak at wide receiver and were looking at the supplemental draft for options for providing weapons to a rookie quarterback. And this poster wrote a letter to Chris Pocorny uh, for the short-lived mailbag article uh, at Dogs by Nature, and he asked if the Browns might consider adding a player in the supplemental draft. Chris didn't think so, but uh, Holmgren and Heckert felt differently. They were under duress, and they forked over the required second-round pick to secure the rights to Josh Gordon. Ever since that day, Josh Gordon has been my favorite player. On July 16th, 2012, Josh Gordon signed a four-year, $5.3 million deal with the Browns. And in his rookie season, he recorded 50 catches uh, for 805 yards and five touchdowns. As good as Josh Gordon was in his first season, 2013 would be one for the ages. But even before the 2013 campaign could get started, Josh Gordon ran into his first serious problems with the league. On June 7th, 2013, the NFL announced that Gordon would be suspended for the first two games of the 2013 season for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy. I don't know if you remember this story, but this was the famous purple drink story where Gordon tested positive for codeine. You know, I went back and looked at some of the articles that talked about this story. It was funny uh, reading Mary Kay's article about this. Uh, it, she was writing that uh, the suspension uh, raised concerned in some lead circles, perhaps that Gordon had got caught up in the purple drank craze that's become popular amongst the younger set. I, I always liked how she called that the younger set. And you remember, uh, purple drink was a mixture of coating lace, cough syrup, uh, hard candy and soda that's you know, responsibly responsible for a lot of player suspensions back at the time. Now, Josh Gordon insisted that his use of coding wasn't recreational. And uh, he seemed to indicate that it was kind of surprised that he was caught for coding at all. There was a little bit of indignation in his response, in fact. And I don't know if people remember this, but around the time uh, this happened... Uh, in the 2000 and, uh, summer of 2013, uh, LeBron James was winning a championship in South Beach. And uh, apparently Gordon was talking about parting with LeBron James 
when they won the championship, and this kind of ruffled a lot of feathers for a lot of the diehard fans in Cleveland. And that's such a long time ago, thinking about LeBron James, the era when he was winning championships in South Beach. Well, in the 2013 season, though, Josh Gordon made everybody forget all about that stuff because his season was quite literally otherworldly. After this two-game suspension, he went on to set records for the Cleveland Browns in the 2013 season. He set the records for most receptions in a game with 14. He set the record for the most receiving yards in a game with 261. The most receiving yards in a season for the Cleveland Browns was set in 2013 by Josh Gordon at 1,646 yards. And additionally, he has the most 100-yard receiving games uh, for the Browns in one season at seven with only 14 games played. That year, he also set a few NFL records as well. Most consecutive games with 200 yards receiving. You heard that, of course, in the montage with two. Most receiving yards in a two-game span, 498. Most receiving yards in a three-game span, 649. Most receiving yards in a four-game span, 774. That's unbelievable. In four games, 774. It's unreal. During week 12, Josh Gordon had 237 yards receiving. And in week 13, 261. And this is the first time in history that a receiver had back-to-back games with 200 receiving yards. You know, Josh Gordon was voted to the Pro Bowl and also was named first-team All-Pro alongside Calvin Johnson of the Detroit Lions. I think at this point you could you could say that he was on path uh, to a sure a surefire Hall of Fame career with these type of credentials in the 2013 season. But in the off season between the 2013 and 2014 seasons, Gordon began a string of serious run-ins with the league office. On July 5th, 2014, Josh Gordon was arrested for driving while impaired in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, out of all the infractions that Josh Gordon had, to me, this was the most troubling. It was an example of him doing something with actually threatened public safety. And even while it was trouble at the, at the allegation or the incident at the time, there was kind of a sense that this guy was sort of being targeted. I mean, he barely, I mean, barely blew over the limit. And I don't want to dismiss this because of the nature of the arrest, but in a vacuum, it's not doesn't seem like a total flagrant disregarding of the rules. And later this summer, uh, the city of Cleveland was given education in the unit of something called a nanogram, where it was alleged that Josh Gordon failed a drug test by the slimmest of margins. And on August 17, 2014, Josh Gordon acknowledged that the NFL suspended him for one year for violating the league's substance abuse policy. And it was about this time that Charles Barkley, Chris Carter, and of course, Stephen A. Smith began to go in on Josh Gordon. Skip, you're sad. I'm not. I'm disgusted. And you know what I wish we start doing? 
I want us to take pictures of these dudes. And next to with their pictures plastered all over national television, I want to put their salaries next to them. Let's say for hypothetically speaking, because I don't have Josh Gordon's numbers in front of me in terms of his salary. But let's say hypothetically speaking, Skip Bayless, he's getting paid seven million dollars, five million dollars. I want a big fat picture of Josh Gordon next to it. Five million dollars. And then I want the screen wiped away. Blacked. Weed. That's how much it costs you. Because you can't get off the weed. You've lost millions of dollars. I don't. Y'all ain't getting me to feel sorry for nobody like that. I refuse. I, 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 don't, I, I, I can't. I can't take. I can't take it. I can't take it. It's millions of dollars. And all you have to do is stay off the weed. And you can't do it? I'm supposed to feel sorry for you? And then it was about race. You know, we don't hear too much about white folks or other folks getting in trouble over weed. Skip couldn't understand why either. Why could you why, why would you think about throwing it all away even if it takes getting some help because you're on the verge of superstardom. You're on the verge of everything you dreamed about as a kid and you're going to throw it all away to quote you for some weed. Charles Barkley even suggested that the suspensions were indicative of the fact that Josh Gordon's life might be in danger. I have a brother who's dead. Died in his early 40s. So I take all drug stuff seriously. And Josh Gordon is gonna die if he keeps going on this road he's going. And like I say, I love my brother, I miss my brother. But when you get involved with alcohol and drugs and you can't control it, uh, you look at Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Here you have Gordon's first run-in with the spectacle-obsessed media. Yeah, in his 1968 book, uh, La Decidity du Spectacle, Guy talks about how media tends to focus on an image or a grand idea of what has occurred rather than what has in fact actually happened. It's hard to find an example that illustrates the difference between the spectacle versus reality than the story of Josh Gordon. The reality was that he ended up being suspended by the league for 10 games in 2014. He joined the team just in time to make a playoff run that never actually materialized. The team was embroiled in a vicious quarterback controversy where Warriors' diminishing skills were contrasted with Johnny Manziel and Mike Patton playing Zach Morris and Mr. Belding. Gordon played well at first. Soon after, he looked disinterested as the team fell apart to end a disastrous campaign. And he ended up suspended before the last game of the season uh, for missing a flight and was unable to accrue a full season en route to becoming, uh, en route to getting out of his rookie contract. And then, trouble with the league again. He was busted after a flight to Vegas with a few team members. Uh, there, he consumed four alcoholic beverages in violation of league stipulated rules uh, with, in uh, connection with the suspension 
that previously happened. And when the news came out that Gordon would be suspended indefinitely after his latest infraction, the situation as a spectacle began to spin out of control. At the beginning of 2015, almost three years ago, Gordon made his first attempt to kind of address this media narrative in an open letter to Charles Barkley that he wrote in a sports journal called The Cauldron. If you haven't gotten the chance to read this letter, take a few minutes to look it up. I think it's a good read because here you have probably the most authentic version of who Gordon actually is. In the last month or two, there have been a couple of stories that came out. Uh, The uninterrupted one and the one by GQ come to mind. Uh, To me, those pieces kind of are a little more filtered attempts to shape the narrative uh, in this this, uh, situation. I'm going to use the uninterrupted piece because it's so nice to hear Gordon talk about himself in his own words. I kind of wish there was some recording of this cauldron piece. You could hear Josh say what he's saying here in his own voice too. But in any case, in the cauldron letter, he starts it off with a little bit of snark, kind of telling people that he appreciates their concern. But then he begins to, then he pivots pretty quickly uh, to plead with open-minded Americans, telling them that media members who are waxing eloquent about his trouble don't know him and they don't have all the information about him. One by one, then, he goes and refutes all of their arguments and ramps. And I'm going to actually quote Josh Gordon as he speaks in the cauldron piece here. He says, respectfully, you worry over my problems. And the word problems is in quotation marks. My problems with substance abuse and my twisting descent into darkness and apparently my impending death. He said, your worry about this stuff is misplaced mostly because... You have very little idea of what you're talking about. None of you do, even those of you who seem curiously obsessed with the goings-on in my life. You know, regarding this piece, I'm not even sure if Josh actually, you know, doesn't have the problems that the media is putting on him, or if, in fact, he's in denial, especially with what's come out in recent days. Very possibly, and maybe it's not even controversial, Very possibly, Josh is in deep denial when he says that people are worrying about his quote-unquote problems with substance abuse. He's in denial of how serious the substance abuse issues can be. That's kind of how I, that's kind of how maybe a standard interpretation of this might be. I kind of wonder if he doesn't have the problems that people say that he actually has. Now, personally, as I listen to what Barkley said, I kind of think that his statement was out of order. And really, immediate discussion of substance abuse is pretty much always going to take this kind of tone just because those choices can have such serious potential implications. But for Charles to conflate the problems that his brother had with alcohol and drugs to the ones that Gordon is facing and to say that he's going to die because of his unchecked problems on national TV, I kind of find that to be a little bit questionable. I don't think he has enough information to actually determine this. It's sad, too, because comments like these allow some space for Gordon to be indignant rather than press at the true underlying issues that are at stake in this case. Substance abuse issues can be deadly serious. I mean, we could just look at Len Bias to see this, and there are loads of other examples of these problems gone wrong. 
But by talking about this in sensational terms, we start to single out one person as a scapegoat for a problem that's literally all around us. If I were Gordon, I would also be upset about being made the poster child for substance abuse issues. I mean, certainly he had problems. But if you're really concerned about his well-being, you really can't start a discussion on national TV this way. Dr. Gabor Mate did a lot of work with heroin addicts in Vancouver, and I find his perspective on addiction and development and really a ton of other mental health issues uh, to be incredibly enlightening. I wanted to include a brief section where Mate explains his view on the origins of addiction. All the substances of abuse, whether they're opiates or cocaine or anything else, they're actually painkillers. Some of them specifically are painkillers. But physical pain and emotional pain, the suffering is experienced in the same part of the brain. So when people suffer emotional rejection, the same part of the brain will light up as if you stuck them with a knife. The Eckhart Tolle says very nicely uh, that addictions begin with pain and end with pain. So that all the addictions are attempts to soothe the pain. So when I work with addictions, the first question is always not why the addiction, but why the pain. And uh, what you find is emotional loss or trauma. In the case of the severe addicts, as in the downtown east side here, there were every single one of them traumatized. There's no women walking the streets here who had not been sexually abused, not even by accident. But, but, but you know, whether it's a sex addiction or internet or, or, or um, relationship or shopping or work addiction, these are all attempts to get away from distress. Keith Richards, the Rolling Stone guitarist, said, uh, who used to have a severe heroin habit, as you know, he said that all the contortions we go through just not to be ourselves for a few hours. Or why would somebody not want to be themselves? Because they're in too much distress and too much pain. So I don't care what they tell you about genetics or any of that choices or any of that nonsense. It's always about pain. Well, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, uh, it's got a wonderful line in it. Whatever you do, don't try and escape from your pain, but be with it. Because the, the, the attempt to escape from pain is what creates more pain. And that's the reality with addiction. But the question is, how can people with their pain? Well, only if they sense some compassion in somebody. So as another teacher says, only when compassion is present will people allow themselves to see the truth. So addicted people need a, a compassionate present which will permit them to experience their pain without having to run away from it. And all the attempts to run away, it's like another teacher says, the surest way to go to hell is to try to run away from hell. So you've got to be with that pain. You just have to be with it, but you have to have some support. And, and we live in a society that one way or the other, is always about instant relief, quick satisfaction, distraction. In other words, we live in a culture that is based on, both economically and, and psychologically, on not uh, supporting people to be with themselves. So it's always the quick getaway. So it's very difficult to deal with addictions in a society. But yeah, it is a matter of at some point, finding a way of being with your pain so that you can actually get to know what it's really all about.
When you're engaging in such a serious discussion like substance abuse, it's important for members of the media to ask the right questions. The first take, which is what Stephen A. and Skip are actually giving you, is why the abuse? Why the weed? But as Mate points out, the more productive question to ask is why the pain? Josh has been pretty transparent about the issues that he's faced in his personal life. In his open letter to Charles Barkley, he's pretty candid about his upbringing. He writes, I don't speak of it often and less so publicly, but I faced a fair amount of hardship growing up. My father was pretty much out of the picture, which left my mom to fend for herself with three sons at home. She did the best she could, but there were stretches of time as an adolescent when I was completely alone with no supervision with no one to guide me, no one to keep me in line. You get to hear him talk about his dad not being a part of his life in the undisputed piece as well. Now that piece in general feels a little more managed than I would like, but I thought it was powerful to hear him talk about his pain, uh, the pain of not having a father in his life in his own words and in his own voice. Um, no, I haven't seen my... Uh... I haven't seen my father in um, a long time. Uh, I can't even really remember. It might have been... Uh, 05, maybe? 06? I, I don't even know. But no, I don't I don't know where he is, but... Uh, no, but I love my father, you know? Wherever he is, wherever he's at, he did as best as he could. He did what he knew he could do, you know? He did what he knew. That's all he knew, so... I'm just grateful to, to even had one as long as I had one. In the open letter to Charles Barkley, he goes a little deeper about some of the problems he dealt with uh, as an adolescent. He says, Over time, particularly after my older brothers moved out, I started hanging out with the wrong kind of people. The kind who would think nothing, not only of carrying guns, but using them. Back then, smoking marijuana wasn't an addiction for any of us. We were still boys, basically. It was just what everyone did. It was everywhere, just like alcohol was. You know, I'm, I'm no psychiatrist. I mean, really, <laughs> thank God. I'm just uh, a dude sitting here looking at media accounts. I mean, none of us, outside of Gordon's inner circle, really have any idea what the truth to all of this is. From what I see, yeah, I see a guy dealing with some measure of abandonment, uh, kind of without having the traditional attachment figures around. You can see, like, in this situation, kind of attached to his peers who are likely dealing with some of their own issues of abandonment, kind of incorporated the same immature strategies that his friends used to deal with the stress of their upbringing. Some violent conditions as well. Yeah, so what now? Here's the reality. The reality is that Josh Gordon has been given yet another chance to earn money playing football. You know, as much as I despise the race baiting and the tone and the tenor of what Stephen A. Smith says about Josh Gordon, his critique about how his behavior affects his income is spot on. Josh Gordon has pocketed just over $2 million of the $5.3 million as an original rookie deal. And that money is almost certainly exhausted in partying and legal fees. Additionally, he has child support payments which are likely tied to his level of income. 
And if he doesn't have the income to make these payments, his life could get very difficult very quickly. The reality is that this football team needs him desperately. Even in an 0-11 season, so much is at stake. Hugh Jackson's livelihood is on the line. These might be the last chances for Kaiser to show that he's actually a viable option at quarterback. Josh Gordon also needs to show that he can be a consistent and dangerous weapon on the field in each and every one of these games in order for the team to feel that there's some benefit in building around him. But the reality of the media spectacle is also an issue. Charles Barkley, Chris Carter, and Stephen A. Smith and his commodified catchphrases, all these guys and more will continue making the same talking points about substance abuse surrounding Josh Gordon. In an article this week uh, on Dogs by Nature, Chris Pope Corny also highlighted the Sports Illustrated issue, uh, which indicated that there's serious questions surrounding the management in Josh Gordon's life now. It's kind of easy to see how this could be a sign of the circus just continuing. But as far as our choice as fans, for us, we just need to educate ourselves about the reality of substance abuse. Hugh Jackson at his press conference stated that he now sees substance abuse as a disease, which is clearly a step in the right direction. And I think as a community, we got to reject the negative behavior of the athletes that we support while finding a way to support these athletes as people. I'm looking forward to this game on Sunday. And I'm more excited about this game than I've been in a long time because my favorite player is back in the fold. I, for one, am going to be rooting hard for Gordon on the field and praying for him off of it. And with that, we can put this one in the books. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to make the DBN Network a part of your routine. This show was a labor of love. If you found any value whatsoever in the work here, I would really appreciate you showing your support or dissent in the form of a comment in the comment section accompanying this program. Welp, that was your dose of the straight truth. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I am your host, Thelonious 7 on the DBN Network. Take care. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. 
Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.